You may be seated. Our reading today is out of Ezekiel chapter 37, 1 through 14. If you happen to have the storybook, page 246. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breathe from the four winds, and breathe in this slain that they may live. So I prophesied as commanded me, and breathed, breath entered them, they came to life, and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, we are in the chapter entitled, The Kingdom's Fall. We've read the passage of Ezekiel 37. So, let's stop for a moment. Let's rewind. Let's bring everybody up to speed. Where are we at on this? Uh, just a little history lesson. By the way, I'm a closet uh, history buff. I love history. I love History Channel, all that stuff. Uh, this weekend for me, AMC with all the war movies and everything, I love it. It's great. Um, it's almost like the Super Bowl to me for you know, of, uh, military movies. But I'll put that aside right now, a little history. Um, first of all, so we've talked about uh, in the past couple of weeks, Israel's divided in north and south, ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. And the tribes to the north are assailed by a certain country and carried off to captivity. What country? Assyria. Ooh, good job. You guys have been paying attention. Good. I'll let Hester and Laura know. You get a star on your chart for that. All right. And she talked about Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was the ruler of uh, Ju- Judah, the lower half. And because of his leadership and following God, they were able to hold off the Assyrian army and stay true as a nation. All right, so that brings us up to speed to the day. Now, if you've read the chapter, you know it lists a bunch of uh, kings and rulers and a couple of prophets in the beginning of the book. So uh, first, we're going to talk about Manasseh. So here's all those lists in the book. It'll only take me about 20 minutes to go through each one. Are you good? You good with that? Okay. Let's go for 20 seconds, maybe. All right. 
Manasseh is the first one up. He's the son of Hezekiah. And you'll see a pattern here. He's the opposite. Hezekiah was great and godly man. Manasseh, he was terrible, and he, he reigned for 55 years, but he brought back idols to worship instead of worshiping Yahweh. Eventually, he was led off by the Assyrians. They captured him, and uh, he got what was coming to him, but he came back to God and fulfilled the uh, reinstated true worship in Israel. Ammon followed him. He reigned for two years. Josiah, son of Ammon, Eight years old when he became king, believe it or not, and reigned for another 31 years. Joahaz only lasted three months. I guess that, I don't know if you call that successful or not. And during this whole time was Jeremiah's ministry warning them about the problems and the destruction to come, but they ignored him. Jehoiakim was next. He was 25 years old, became king, reigned 11 years. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he reigned. It lasted three months before he was captured by King Nebuchadnezzar, which you'll hear about probably more next week when Pastor Laura preaches. Zedekiah is where this all comes to an end for Judah. In around 586, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon comes and conquers Jerusalem. Finally, just says enough and conquers the city and pulls away the inhabitants. Jerusalem falls. And on all this, there's a man named Ezekiel. Ezekiel ministry started in Judah, but like with everybody else in 586, he was carried off to Babylon and put into exile. But that didn't stop his ministry. If you're probably familiar with the book, he had many different visions. Ezekiel's the one with the wheel within the what? The wheel within the wheel. He had visions of different types of beasts and other stuff. And so, but we're going to focus today on Ezekiel 37, his vision of a valley of dry bones. So first of all, let's put the context of what this is. So these people have been exiled. They've been dragged off thousands of miles to a land that's not their own. For some of them, it was actually a better life. Some of the artisans had a better life. But... For those, some of those, it was not a better life. They were held captive there against their will. And it says there in verse 11, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. It doesn't sound like a people who are prospering. It sounds like to me a people who are longing for their home. I mean, I know some of you, earlier I saw some who, during the fires just a few years ago, when their house burnt down, in a sense, they were cut off from their home. They had to live somewhere else. It wasn't a foreign country, but they were cut off. And they knew that longing just to have their home, a place of their own. And, and so this contest that Ezekiel's having this dream. Psalm 137 that the band played, the rivers of Babylon, that was written because of that time. Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept, and we thought of Jerusalem. So it's in this context Ezekiel has this vision, this vision of a valley of dry bones, basically a battlefield of bones. And God commands him to speak to these bones. And when he does speak the word of the Lord to them, all of a sudden they all the bones come together. There's tendons, there's flesh, but no breath. So he says, prophesy to them again. Command them to breathe, basically. And they come together and life comes in them. And they come alive and stand at their feet. And it says it was a great army in front of him. So can you imagine that he takes this vision to his friends, all everyone around, the exiles, 
If you're longing for your home and God's given this person a vision, two things, you're going to think he's crazy, which that happened some, or you're going to take it as a message of hope. God has not forgotten us. There's a message of hope. He's going to take care of us. Our nation will rise again. We are not forgotten. And soon through all of this, through all of this, we'll see that it's the power of God, His Spirit, that is slowly beginning to work and giving this hope to this nation. It's interesting um, what a little hope will do. My second 5K run I ever did was in one of those small neighborhood runs. Have you ever done that? I had a brief running career. I've already given it up. But uh, my wife runs, and she's good at My knees just couldn't take it anymore. But uh, if you've ever done any runs, the bigger, more organized runs, they have at the start these time markers uh, along the side of the road at the start. So you can kind of judge where you should be in the crowd when the gun goes off, right? So, you know, if you're an eight-minute per mile or four-minute, you know, five-minute, you can kind of stand by that sign. Well, these smaller neighborhood runs don't have those kind of things. And so basically you're just judging everybody, saying, yeah, I can run as fast as you can and that kind of thing, you know. For me, I found the 12-year-old, okay, I can run as fast as you. I will stand next to you. Um, Well, immediately as the gun went off, I realized right away that I had made a mistake and I got with the slow people, okay. Um, Well, at least I thought I did. And so, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a big mass of humanity. If you've ever been in one of these and everybody's kind of getting up to pace and I'm like weaving and dodging and weaving, I'm trying to get up there with the fast people. And what happens is I, I get going and I'm like, man, I'm just killing this. And I get to the, like the two and a half mile mark and I realize, wow, I went out way, way, way too fast and I hit a wall. And about the time, though, that I was about to stop and start walking, I... There's this guy who's been behind me the whole time. I knew he, I knew he was pacing me. I could hear him breathing hard back there, almost so close he could breathe around the back of my neck. He starts hopping at me. Don't you stop. Don't you dare stop. Keep running. Keep running. You can do it. Keep it. He starts yelling at me like a drill sergeant. I was so scared. I just kept running. You know, I just kicked it in. <laughs> but you know what? It worked because I finished out the 3.2 miles and at a great fashionable time, and I would never have done that if that guy was there. I would have humbled myself and walked all the way across the line, probably if that guy wasn't there yelling at me, breathing down the back of my neck. Hope is an amazing thing. Hope is an amazing thing. One thing to note is that if you go back and look at rabbinical textbooks on this passage, in a Jewish setting, what they would teach about this passage, they teach that the reason why the bones are dried up It's because they have no marrow in them. And what does the marrow do? It is the good deeds we do for each other that really gives the bone its structure, that feeds the bones. So just hold on to that. Tuck it away. It's the good deeds that bring the bones to life. In the New Testament, John 20, we see an instance for Jesus. Because we're Christians, right? We're not Jewish. Uh, We hold the Old Testament, but we also look to the New Testament for our guidance and direction. John 20, 19 through 23 says... That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. This is after the resurrection. Because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. 
If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Wow. We have a picture of Jesus himself breathing the Holy Spirit onto his disciples. Why? So he empowered them to go to all the ends of the earth as he's commanded them to share the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, we all are born with a little bit of the Spirit of God in us. That's the life we have. We call it the Imago Dei in theological circles. What we're talking about here is what we're talking about that happened in Pentecost, the special outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all believers. Now, now the Holy Spirit is indwelling inside in each and every one of us to empower us. Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on his disciples. And for us, we don't have a country to go back to, but we have a kingdom to build. We say a kingdom to build. You hear us talking about often that we are here to build God's kingdom on earth. When Jesus came, he came to establish a new way of doing things, a new kingdom, if you will. We just prayed a while ago, what, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We pray that every Sunday. Christ come to build his kingdom here on earth. And what that, was that kingdom supposed to look like? Well, it's supposed to put things back to rights, back to creation, back to wholeness, back to communion with God. Are we there yet? No, we got a long way to go before we're at that place of perfection that was that creation. But God has commanded us to go and to build his kingdom, to work at establishing and reviving this earth to what it needs to be. I mean, here's the kicker on this whole thing about establishing his kingdom. We don't have a country to return to, but we have a kingdom to build. Here's the kicker about it is, you know, his plan for doing this is us. That's what gets me. I look at my life and I say, hey, God, I'm a mess. Are you sure you want to use me? But he does. Uh, an old African-American preacher from California heard years ago, he gave a sermon. Almost the whole sermon was this. God ain't got no plan B. You're it. You're plan A. In other words, God intends for us to be the agents of change and to build his kingdom. And how do we do that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit that's been breathing us through God. And it's amazing how many different ways this happens. So often we think, well, no, I'm not a preacher, I can't be that. I'm not a Sunday school teacher, I can't be that. I'm not a counselor, I can't be that. But it comes in the smallest ways. Mike Iaconelli was a guy who developed a ministry called Youth Specialties, which made curriculum for years and years for youth ministry. He was one of my ministry heroes, and I heard him about 20 years ago now, back when I was a youth pastor, and he was talking about, he was at one of his Saturday seminars. In fact, I was at, attending that Saturday seminar. It was like an all-day event. And different times during the day, we would take a coffee break, once, usually in the morning and one in the afternoon. They'd have refreshments, and they would encourage you to go to buy their books and that kind of thing. And he said, you know, I often try to go mingle in front of everybody because everybody wants to talk to the speaker of the event. And he said, I was heading to the, the room where everything was being held, and I was making a beeline for these young, sharp youth pastors I saw very listening intently in the seminar, and I was going to go meet these guys. These are sharp guys that I knew had it all together. He said, before I got there, though, I got cut off by this gentleman who was a little bit beshoveled in his clothing and, and just said, hi. And he's like, hi. And he's like, I'm a ham radio operator. Well, that's just wonderful. That's great, you know. Thanks for sharing that information. And uh, he says, oh, 
And, you know, I do work for middle school students. Oh, great. You know, but sometimes I have a hard time getting these middle school boys, which is my small group I teach, to talk. Oh, okay, well, you know, we got a lot of books and curriculum over there to help, you know. A bunch of people over here probably have some good advice for you. He goes, yeah, you know, but I don't need more because I had this idea, you know. I, I, I'm a ham radio operator, and I have all these CB radios. By the way, this story took place in the 70s. Remember uh, smoking the bandit and all that? Okay. All right. I know technology's moved way beyond this now. But he said, I had all these CB radios lying around. Some of them were broken. Some were just not being used. I fixed them up, placed one in each and every boy's home. And you know what happened? All of a sudden, they went from not talking to I couldn't get them to stop talking on the radio. They were talking over each other, trying to give the answers to their questions for the Bible study for that week. And uh, Mike Yakinari said, I I knew I was on holy ground. There's this guy who thought outside the box and allowed to be the breath of God to these students. And he said, I made these crude judgments about him, and I realized God was using this man. So for us today, the message for you is simply this. Just like back in the time of Ezekiel, and he gave this prophecy, this vision of hope to the Israelites, and he breathed life into these bones as a symbol that they're going to be revived again. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And we are the breath of God. We are the breath of God that is to go out and change the world. We are the breath of God to speak to the dry bones and say, live again. What are those dry bones? The dry bones are those the needs of those, the many needs of those who are out there in this hurting, hurting world. We are the breath of God that brings new life. We help our neighbor who is sick and can't get out of their home. We're the breath of God that brings new life when we volunteer at Helping Hand Crisis Ministry. We're the breath of God that brings new life when we sit with a friend who's lost a loved one. We might even not say a thing. We just sit with them. We're the breath of God that brings new life. This is for the kids. At school, when, we, when some kid drops their books in the hallway and the kids are using it as a hockey puck to kick it down the hallway, you stop and help that kid and pick him up. You're the breath of God that brings new life. When you take off a week of work to go sweat to death with a bunch of teenagers repairing homes in San Antonio, we're the breath of God that brings new life. When we put a new roof on a house that's been blown away by a hurricane, we're the breath of God that brings new life. When we visit a shut-in or someone in the hospital, we're the breath of God that brings new life. When we spend a short week of our lives with orphan kids in another country just loving on them. We're the breath of life that brings new life when we take time to teach kids in Sunday school class, even though we just want to come to church and hear a good sermon. Yeah, I, th- I threw that in. I, I went there on that. <laughs> we're the breath of God that brings new life just to take a stand for those who can't stand on their own. God wants to use us in a mighty way. How often we shortchange the miracles of God because we think we're less than. God wants to use us in a mighty way. He seeks to restore this world to what He intended. We are the agents of change to be His hands, His feet, to be the breath of God, to 
bring new life to this world and show mercy where, sh- where mercy needs to be. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you. Oh, we thank you so much that just like the Israelites of old, who you did not abandon, you had every right to abandon them. They forgot about you again and again. They turned their backs on you again and again. Yet you never left them. And today, you're that same God who doesn't forget about us. I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us your eyes, your mind, your heart, that we would see others who need us to be the breath of God to them. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you and to serve others. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.